0: Guys, Kenneth Middleton
1: here. Danny Wright. We
0: are Color Scheme,
1: the most dynamic mother and son pair, talking on topics like entrepreneurship, personal development, being your personal best, navigating corporate America—you name it, we got you. So join us, listen to these episodes.
0: We got something for everybody. This is the best podcast out.
1: If you listen to it, you will win. Color Scheme, Color scheme. we are We're back. back. We're back. Another day. Yes. We got your special light Yep, thank Looking you. Good. It. Looking Appreciate good. Looking good. This is thank what we you. call a style, mommy style.
0: Thank you. <laughs> you gotta balance out the light. You gotta balance out the light. You know, so.
1: It's just beautiful. I'm, I'm watching you become a legend before my eyes. Oh, well,
0: thank you. My son has always been one, so it was about time.
1: <laughs> Came out of noble birth, you know? Came out right. of noble birth. Noble birth.
0: Right.
1: Speaking of legends. Two great legends died recently.
0: Yeah, we've we've suffered a tremendous loss this year, um, but we recently suffered the loss of Chadwick Bozeman and um, John Thompson, um, and you know I think they both hit home for a, a number of reasons that I think we should talk about. It's
1: like a, it's like the, it's like 2020 just wants to continue to to culminate. lot why the, people the are
0: saying let's cancel 2020. You know,
1: but that made me 2021 is a lot more promising.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see. You know. Uh, you know, And I
1: think it, it's, it's interesting because it almost begins to feel like, you know, with these these stars and these these noble people dying, especially yeah. specifically like these black legends, yep. their deaths are reminding us not only how viable life is, yeah. but also the impact that that black people are having on our overall society right. and like our progression. Yeah, like, and
0: how excellent we are.
1: You and know how excellent we, are. we yeah. are. I
0: mean, let's not forget that, because we 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 understand who they are while they're living. But then we we hear and we're reminded of the great and wonderful contributions they made to society once they pass on.
1: I never understood like why we do moments of silence with people other than to like yeah. acknowledge you know their spirit passing on. But it's also to like acknowledge and appreciate yes. the value that they added to the world. It's like
0: taking a pause, taking a breath. Yeah you know, to to acknowledge and remember their contribution and the worthiness that they've they've made um, to to us, to us as black people, but to the greater good of of society. So, um, and you know, one thing I've I've been thinking a lot about with, you know, legends such as those two and others that have passed this year, um, in the power, the importance of saying no, because they have stories that are so profound about things that they've overcome and things that they've done, but I always think about, you know, how does that relate to me? How does that relate mm-hmm. to you? How does that relate to us? And there's so many things, you know, I've been watching all the different videos specifically about Chad Bozeman that have been going around about. And he, he gave a, a speech to Howard University, I think, in 2018 to yep. graduate in class. And,
1: and, became, he, and he got an honorary doctorate. Yeah, he did. In that and, process. And,
0: and he's talked about. He didn't call it the power. I'm saying no, but it suggested the power. Oh, of saying absolutely.
1: No. The, he he championed what it means to be intentional about who you are yeah, and, and being mission driven. Yeah, exactly. Yes. In your work and in in your yep. goals.
0: And he's talked about different roles that he just wouldn't play yeah. and and why and how he wasn't going to participate in the, the, the stereotypes that black people are portrayed and have been portrayed um, especially on on the big screen. I mean, I think we've come a long way, uh, but there, there has been so much uh, stereotypical uh, imagery when it comes to, to acting and, and from an actor's and an actress's perspective, and he talked about that. He talked about what that meant to stand strong and say, you know what, uh, I don't know if I want to do that role and I don't want to play the part. I've heard the same is true with Denzel Washington and other actors that have have, have taken a stance and said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. And how we relate that to ourselves is is what we decide to do and how we decide to move and navigate the corporate world, the business world, Mm -hmm. how we do that when it comes to we started in schools you know we start in in how we decide um, how we want to be perceived and projected in school and we translate that to what we do in the workplace i think we all have been faced with um, times when we've been asked to do something it's not about being asked to do something you're like it's not my job not that not that but things that go against who you are
1: morally morally Yeah, and having and that's why it's so important you know not only for individuals to understand their principles and their values Right. But also for companies that have the same. Right. Because yeah. when we look at the industry of Hollywood and the film industry, you know, it's so easy for that line um, of actors because they're again, they're still they have their own brands, but they in, in a way that's still their job. Right. Right. And so it's very hard pressed to say to to tote that line as to whether, you know, this role or position is going against your morals or your or your values as a person, yep. specifically as a black man in and, and, and Chadwick's position, versus saying, this is something I wanna play, I wanna make my money, or this is gonna right. be something that people are gonna love me for, yeah. right? And like how how the complexity it is that to kind of integrate those things and how you have to really be centered you do. And, and fundamentally know who you are. That's why it's so important, you yeah. know, like creating, like the culture within yourself to, to yeah. know your your purpose yeah. in life and to and to know and to be secure with who you are. Yeah, and Give and which yourself to an
0: opportunity to do that and to yeah. explore that. And I think, you know, we, we are always reminded about where we are today with the pandemic and all the things that are happening and how it's causing us to be a, a, a little bit more, I would say, stationary where we're home and in different places. We can't move about as much as we as we used to. So it's a good opportunity to be intentional about reflection, about intention, being intentional about understanding what your needs are and how to serve yourself better and well. And, um, and I think you know, with the reminders of the loss that we've experienced, when we hear all these great things about who they are, you know, let's figure out how to tap into how that applies to us from a business perspective and in our lives. Mm-hmm. Because we're all great in our own right and we all can make decisions about what we stand for. And, and, you know, it's, 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 it's that kind of uh, uh, experience that you hear about from from their deaths that, at least for me, reminds me of, you know, the things that I said no to That's and how lovely. I continue to to navigate just within myself what I want to be and do and stand for. Because we all have an opportunity to establish a legacy.
1: When I think about the, the legacy of, of John Thompson Jr. At, at Georgetown specifically, one, not only being the, the first black um, coach to win a NCAA national championship, but also the role he played, not only on in bringing in uh, players, black players into the university, you know, a PWI where, you know, some of them may have been in the hood, some of them may have had all these different perceptions about who they are, what their past was, and he stood up for them, yeah. and and he mentored them. He was a father figure for them, And and how he created this community specifically within the athletic department of how black and paving the way for black men to succeed, you know, during times when we didn't have as many rights, when we weren't always looked at as yeah, equal. Yeah. Right. And beyond our own voice. skill yeah, yeah, beyond our own skill sets as as athletes, he also paved the way for us to have opportunities that have trickled down the line all the way to me when I was at Georgetown. Right? right? And and creating again going back to that that culture of acceptance and creating equity and equality, like like he paved the way to do that. And, yeah. you know, when he passed, I saw so many athletes, you know, they were friends, they went to school before me, after me, they talked about, you know, his presence in the school in yeah. in the basketball arena, not just as a coach, but much, much, right. much after right. he died and how his impact still paved the way for so many of us young black athletes yep. to, to have a successful career, Georgetown. So now. one of the
0: things we don't see, and, and you know, as just as an employee of a company or um, an athlete on a team, we don't see what happens behind the scenes. We don't, we didn't see what he was negotiating in the boardroom yeah. and what he was doing on the beha- on you know, his his players' behalf. Those are the things that we don't know about and we don't hear about sometimes until someone someone passes. So with with respect to everything that. Uh, what Chad Bozeman said about what he decided not to do and roles that he decided not to take, that passes on to to other actors and actresses with, with John Thompson. That passes on to, to not only the athletes but other coaches that can stand for the rights of the players and really advocate for um, things beyond what you and I might see. Like, they go to boardroom discussions. They're talking to their management, their leadership. They are advocating on, on everybody's behalf and we don't always see that, so, so it's many, more than just so, that.
1: And so many people misunderstand what it means to have a seat at the table, yes. right? And yes. Like, and how it's more than just being someone that that is checked as a box on your right. website, but having a seat at the table means being able to have a voice, have your voice responded to, and create pathways and avenues for people much, much generations later. Yeah, so it is the power
0: of influence, persuasion, being able to be an advocate, being able to be a decision maker, and being able to articulate why it supports the organization and why it supports the people. So that is what, having a seat at the table in a powerful position like that, really is so, so much of a downstream effect and impact that it would have for current players, you know, and, and players to come, like you said, you know, you, you, you experienced it from seeing, you know, talking to players before you and after you that, um, experienced the downstream effects of, of, you know, what John Thompson was able to do and accomplish. So. And it,
1: and, and his ability to, you know, understanding the culture and the rich history of Georgetown specifically, and we've seen, you know, how in the past few years, you know, there's been talks of reparations and students have risen up because, You know, they say, you know, Georgetown was one of these universities that um, that got its funding and was built off of the backs of slaves. And and to have someone like him play such a pivotal role and looking back now and thinking about how he's been able to help so many of us get into the school and be successful and also influence so many other white professors and white coaches and white administrators to to open their eyes and see yeah. things through his lens and through our lens yeah. is so impactful yeah. and you know that just speaks that just speaks to the volumes that the the that speaks to the value of his understanding of what it takes to raise a black male yeah. in this world yeah right yep. Yep. something you know obviously oh, yeah. yeah i know that <laughs> i
0: know that quite well and i think that now um as a parent you know, uh, with, with, you know, racial inequality, you know, being um, exposed in the way that it, it is now. I think as a parent, you know, I have a grown son, so I don't have the same uh, worries and concerns that other people might be having as far as raising their kids. Yeah. You're, you, you know, you've long been, been raised, but I still have worry and concern every time you step out the door. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like one of the things that you don't realize as, as a, as a child of a, parent who has a black son you, you you're constantly holding your breath. Right. you don't know even before this even before you know we we are we seeing uh, you know video of, of black men being hunted, killed, murdered in the streets before we saw this live on TV and the way that it's been represented and on social media long before then we knew race existed. Yeah. We, we knew as parents that we needed to prepare our sons for being pulled over, being detained. Uh, uh, what it might look like in, in, in the schools, in the work world. like that That's something that you know. That's something you know. That,
1: that we're all coached up and learned yeah. from a very young yes. age. And yes. I remember one time I was having a conversation with one of my white male mentors and, you know, we were having this conversation. We used to ask a lot of questions about what that meant and what that looked like, specifically yeah. as a black man. I talked about how, you know, you're taught from an early age, how to interact with police. And yes. he was like, well, I was yes. taught how to interact with police. And it's like, it's not, no, the, it's, it's not, not the same. same. It's not, it's the, not same. the same. And it's, and this isn't like me saying this is what I want. But I've, over the past few years, now that we are seeing body cam footages and police shootings of black men, I have not once seen a police shooting of a white man. Yeah, I, I have not. Right. Maybe I could, maybe it probably is on the internet, yeah. but we've seen, but we you know, see the black men being. And see how yeah how ruthlessly it's happening as yeah. if, you know, there is no value in a black man's life. Right. And that's why it's so important, you know, especially for for individuals like ourselves, right? Who yeah. have made a career for ourselves and have paved the way, you know, as professionals and have come from, you know, difficult situations to pay it forward. You know, yeah. one of the things that I've, I've always said since the inception of, you know, founding my nonprofit is it's unfortunate, but I've had a lot more white men be mentors, right. you know, to me right. than than black men. Yeah. And a part of that is the the culture and the the institutions and, and systems that are set up to to hold black men back. That we have a crabs in the barrel mentality. We
0: do, and I think a lot of, there's there's so many black people that are just getting to their point of success, mm-hmm. and they're they're concerned about saving themselves. Yeah. So they didn't have anybody helping them. They didn't have anybody. They don't have their parents to
1: fall back on, or try and. and I think
0: some of them believe they're still saving themselves, even though they may have arrived to a certain point and and achieved a certain uh, amount of success. They still believe they're saving themselves, so they can't help you. In their minds, they can't help you. They still they're still trying to help themselves. So it's part part of it's that, but then it's also the crabs in in the barrel mentality, and it's unfortunate that that it's apparent, but but you know it, it it's true. But when we think about race as a problem. Um, and, and, you know, black people are, we were impacted, directly impacted, but it's everybody's issue. So every white mentor that has made a decision to help you, hopefully they recognize that it was, it was their responsibility to contribute to your success. And they may not have said it's my responsibility to contribute to this black man's success, but they felt the responsibility to contribute to your success. So everybody should feel that, should feel that regardless of where they are and regardless of their race, they should feel a responsibility to help the person who isn't in the same position that they're in but from a, a you know like you mentioned from a black person's perspective I, I know even for me you know I, I've told you before I've looked I look to my left and my right I might not see anybody in the same position as me but I've I've tried it's been a part of my you know part of my I say my life's work to to try to give back and try mm-hmm. to help because one I, I actually feel the opposite nobody helped me so let me help somebody else you know, I, I needed that help. So I don't want I don't want somebody else to be struggling. So you so you think that it would navigate. be it would have
1: been a lot easier if you had more help along the way. Oh, or do you think yes. do you think you would be in the same place? Because I would argue, I would argue to some extent because you had to do so much for yourself and you had to struggle so much. It it kind of like amplify where you are there's a lot of yeah, uh, black yeah. women and black men that have received a lot more help than you or who received help that aren't as far along as you You know what you have a good you know point. you
0: have you make a good point there you know I always I've always felt like wow you know I wish I had more help you know because it was hard because I felt the the pain of of trying to navigate in different settings so I think just because of how it's felt Physically and emotionally it, it felt like I should you know if I had more help it would have been easier But but to some extent you you might be right, you know because I didn't have you had to figure it help, out on your own I had lot. to figure it out yeah. and, I, and I think I kicked down a, a number of doors And I think that I found my voice and, and and projected it and made it stronger every year and every job and every position because I didn't have because I didn't have help so um, in some instances I, I you're probably right, you're probably right. I think
1: one of the things I struggle, with, I'm still struggling with when, you know, I speak to students, whether undergrad, undergraduate black students, or if I'm speaking at, you know, a middle school, or elementary school, a high school, when I'm speaking to these young people, or even if it's one-on-one, like I think that I definitely have, I've, I've developed an ability where, you know, I can speak to any audience, right? right? And I can speak to any audience comfortably, right? and. You know, there's, there's levels to the story you tell people yeah. and, and how you convey your messages to them. But it's so hard to, to coach um, someone's ability to overcome adversity. Like, yeah. it's, it's really something you have to experience. And that's yeah. why, you know, I, I think that sports and extracurricular activities are yeah. so pivotal, uh, pivotal for the development of young people, specifically young black um, black and brown men, because yeah. like if you don't have sports, you know, even if it isn't, even if it isn't coaching your mind that that's your way out, but they teach you so many soft skills yeah. that help you understand how to to look to yourself before someone else and you're to dealing overcome with, your you're challenges. Dealing with adversity. Right, you are, yeah. you are in many in many regards, and it's and it's. I don't know how to. I can I can lead someone along the way to help them get it eventually, yeah. but. What are some of the things that when you are mentoring someone or when you are coaching someone that you, you convey that message to them?
0: One of the things I try to do You can
1: it's hard to teach yeah. grit. How do you teach grit? Well, <laughs> like grit, how, do you,
0: grit. how do you teach exactly. That's a grit, little bit of a different you know? topic? <laughs> but it is. It's hard it's hard to teach it hard it's hard to teach grit. But one of the things that I found is common across different people that I mentor when they when they come to me with a problem mm-hmm. and they've hit a wall and they're talking to me about it and they're articulating what's happening. It, they it's it's so much of them being defeated that they're talking about.
1: Yeah.
0: This person won't, you know, talk to me. This person is criticizing me. This person like it's it's I am being attacked. I am in full attack mode. Taking things personally. This company is yeah. this. These people are that. They have become uh they, they are so overwhelmed with being attacked that they don't see a way out. So, what I try to do is take it away. I take away some of what they perceive is an attack. And I give them, I give them insight on what's actually happening. How can I do that? Because a lot of this happened to me. That was me. I was like that. That happened to me. I, I, can't. I would love to say I just one day became great and I figured it all out. No, I went through a number of, of experiences where I felt attacked like why oh because I'm a young black girl, they're just attacking me and you know I don't you know talk like them or dress like them or act like them. and so now it's all about you know so and some of that was real, yeah. some of that was real and really happening. but instead of, instead of it I, taking it so personal and, and, and saying this is a full-on attack, let me recognize where they are and let me recognize where I am. and let me, let me also, more than anything, recognize what I have power and control over. Because they don't have power and control over me. They can do and say what they wanna say, but how I respond and how I deal with it mm, is mine. So that's the kind of stuff that I always, like I start breaking it apart and talking them through it so they can see they have power. Because a lot of those conversations, when you're talking to young people about adversity, a lot of times it's because they feel powerless. Mm. They just feel powerless. They're just like, I'm never gonna be able to do that.
1: And one example that I learned or I used to hear that it is an example of that is feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, and I never got it I, I, I Honestly used to hear all the time playing football whether it was in boys club or whether it was in high school I used to hear all the time in high school I like, mean stop feeling sorry for yourself and you know when you're running and you're working out like <laughs> or you've lost like Stop feeling sorry for yourself. And I used to be like like uh, okay, like I guess that just means work harder like eh, I don't really get it like you know like, and it wasn't until I went to Georgetown and really felt powerless to my situation and not yeah. feeling like I was at a school that um, really valued me as a football player, that yeah. made me feel like, you know, I went to, like we can look at St. John's now, like my high school, and last year it was top five yeah, national Apple contender, right? right? And I ended up going to Georgetown, which is D1AA, yeah. and I had all these D1 schools looking at me you know my recruiting whatever like we can say whatever it was but I was one of the top players in WCAC right you know absolutely. playing with people like Stephon Diggs in the league now right I and know. when I look at when I looked at my my trajectory when I was at Georgetown and how I just felt like it curbed yeah like I was feeling sorry for myself yeah. I started working out hard right like I went from being in high school where I was working out every night I was sending pictures of of myself <laughs> working out to Coach G, yes, you know, right. doing push-ups, <laughs> doing jump squats, right, like doing sprints at night, like all these different things to be a top athlete in the WCAC, to going into Georgetown and like, not going out before practice, yeah. not really lifting as hard, like, and just kind of like, allow myself to be deflated. Yeah. And when I, when, I, when I finally got through it, after about two years, I realized that that was the definition of feeling sorry yes. for myself, yes. it was, i'm not at a school i want so i'm not going to do as much or i'm not at or my coaches you know aren't giving me affirmations all the time so whatever this is stupid or i should be playing because i know i'm better than this person so i'm not gonna run as hard on my sprints right and how all of those situations negatively impacted not only where i was as a player like the the value I felt in myself as a full player and like where I was going, like that was me feeling sorry for myself, and it took it didn't take anyone else telling me Having about it, experience. but it took me like really looking in the mirror to, to get to that place so you to, think to you understand had that.
0: You think you had to experience it to get it? I
1: do, but I also think that I, I also think that I have a unique ability to to self-reflect and yeah. to like look in the so mirror and say that's
0: something you have and
1: that's what i that's what i'm that's so, what i don't understand how do okay. we teach that okay i see like, you know, I see saying? like you're how going. do we teach that so
0: i don't know that you can't <laughs> 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 i don't know that you can't so that is something as your mother that is something you have had you 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 have it even more now but it's something you've always had mm-hmm. you've always had that that didn't just come to you at georgetown it felt like it came to you even more pronounced then but you've always kind of had that along the way from childhood on but so you might not be able to teach somebody that but what you 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 teach around that so you Mm -hmm. may not be able to teach them how to look at themselves and figure you know out um how to do better how to overcome what is actually happening but what you can teach them is how to shift the conversation or shift the challenge in a way that you you un you you unarm them yeah. so they're armed with
1: all Barriers this stuff and, right and they shields have all this
0: stuff these people don't like me and yeah. this and yeah. and if i was hey if i was at this school i'd be the so they yeah. have, they're all, <laughs> all this stuff
1: because yeah. that's
0: what happens they're all about this stuff so take it away start shipping it away yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. exactly so so you might not be you can't I don't know if you can say let me show you how to self-reflect <laughs> let me let me let me show it to you so you might not be able to do that uh-huh. but as you start chipping away all the things that they're on with you putting putting it down then it you know a lot we're, we're talking about logical people that yeah. that can get to a logical place you can help them see that some of this is you or yeah. Or if you if you can't see that it's you as far as the the offender or the the, the part of the problem help you can help them to see where they have power and control. You know, you have some control over this situation. You you've told me a story that sounds like you are at zero percent and you're not. And let me show you why. Let me show you why you're not at zero. Here's five. Here's ten. Here's fifteen. Let's give, let me give it back to you so I can help you.
1: You're a ten. <laughs> but we gotta get you go to get ninety percent more. Right. 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 So, go so that's, 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 so go that's what at I at
0: think. It the approach would be, you know, to, to do it that way, so.
1: Yeah, I recently finished the book, um, Post-traumatic Slave Syndrome, mm-hmm. by Dr. I, I don't want to brush her name. I, I want to say it's Dr. Joy DeGruy or something like that. Okay. We'll pull it up I'm when right, we, yeah. when we remix the whole, okay. skirt. Okay. Got gabby-nate, okay. all right, got, uh, <laughs> We go, we go remixed it. Right. But, you know, she talks a lot, she talks a lot about, you know, what we just said and like how all the systems and, and slavery and the institutions set up and, how black people have been so devalued that it's difficult for us to even overcome those barriers and like to even imagine ourselves as viable right and like how you know again going back to the crabs in the barrel syndrome if we think about just like the workplace or you know being an athlete specifically how for a black person if we see another black person get promoted over us or get a position over us we're like like why is them like we like get like this hater mentality yeah, right but if yeah. it's a white person to get promoted over us or if it's enough, we, we kind of like expect it yeah. like we're conditioned to like expect yeah. white people to be better than us and to like improve up, prove over improve over us or like yeah. get ahead or progress more than us and for black people it's not enough and I, I, i'm so happy that i've realized in the past few years that there is enough there's enough for all of us like there's it enough is. for all my black brothers and sisters to get ahead it and is. to be successful regardless of whether yeah. you know i like you or not regardless of whether we get along or not yeah. like it's enough for us both to succeed yep. and like when i look at the overall the, the overarching society and i look at you know like how white people how, like how successful so many white people are yeah. like in industries and they're all partners and on boards yeah. like they may not like each other but it's enough for them right like they not holding, they're not holding that they're not holding each other back yeah and but, but like we've been conditioned as black people to hold well, each other, other back. thing
0: that's really key about that is when there when there's an empty seat at the table they go i'm gonna get that i can get that yeah where sometimes as black people we're like i really i would want to but i i, I don't think and that goes back
1: to the barriers and the shields yeah. that we put up for ourselves because we stop ourselves from seeing ourselves in that yes. position yes. or from from shooting full stream ahead to get there yeah and so you know, going back to kind of where we started with this, I really wonder how, you know, from the standpoint of being like young, like how do we prepare our children, you know, our children and teenagers and, and young adults for the future?
0: Yeah, I you think, know? you know, you said a couple things without even, you know, bringing it to this topic. But I think, you know, at least for me, like I know when you were a kid, you grew up in the in the 90s and at least at the start and, and into the t- early 2000s, I always thought, I'm gonna always keep you busy. You're yeah. gonna always be busy. Like that was my plan. My plan was, you're gonna be so busy and not thinking about TV. I mean, social media wasn't as big as it is now, but you yeah. weren't gonna be thinking about that. Like you weren't gonna be thinking about all this stuff because I was gonna have you in activity. Let TV. it be
1: noted for the record, I could not watch TV during the week. No. Had to go to bed at eight o'clock.
0: Yes. <laughs> didn't have a social Didn't used have Facebook until what, 16? Used to have to do
1: workbooks <laughs> on top of my homework. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you worked all the time. And I, I, I mean, but I especially, like... But,
1: like, looking now, like, especially during this time of COVID, where so many people are unemployed, kids are, our, our, our kids, specifically, like, in the community we come from, like, they're already behind in school. Yeah, they are. Right? Like, and now it's how do we get ahead? And yeah. then even looking, looking ahead, like, how do we create, how do we redefine our education system to create more... Yeah more um programs and and literature around like financial literacy and things like that so that we are preparing for the future because if we're going to be honest right now like black people have been are screwed by covid black latinos people of color have been screwed by covid and then also when we think about the overarching context of um unemployment like shooting up yeah and you know, people's benefits now being challenged and our government trying to challenge social security, like yep. we can't like how do we, we can't even plan for retirement. Yeah. Like people aren't even planning effectively yeah. for retirement. It's
0: it's tough. It's tough. I mean there's there's so much that we you know we're we're so disadvantaged already. Yeah. So it's like where do, where do we start? And I think you know, for me, I always think that you, you started with what's free. What's free and what's available for you? Like I feel like let's take all these layers away. People have opportunities. Stop have shooting for this. Stop shooting for all, stop. Stop shooting for all of that extra stuff. And look right here. Free. What's here? Because here's the thing. What's in front of you? Here's the thing that we we, we don't talk about. Quiet is kept all these businesses that are getting money, they have to spend it somehow. Yeah. They are establishing programs. Yeah. Some of them are establishing programs that are free. Nonprofits are establishing programs that are free. Some for-profits have money that they need to spend on social impact programs. Let's look at what's free. So that's the one thing that I think from a financial perspective when we think about big business, you know, just the common folk, you know, we're not always thinking, we're thinking, oh, they're making all this money, I'm, I don't have any money. Like, how do I get a piece of that? How about look at what they're doing for free because they have money that they need to spend to spend. There are a number of virtual program program, programming, things that are being established now that are free. There are I mean, there were summer camps. You guys, uh, you did a good camp that was free, you know, virtual um, under good projects. So there are a number of avenues of free help that uh, people can search out for for themselves and for their children. So let's start there. Let's start at free resources free financial literacy resources. When you, If you don't understand the stock market and you don't understand benefits, you don't understand all of this, you know, what these words mean, search for them. Almost everybody has access to the internet. Almost
1: Google everyone. is the number one superhuman. Yeah, so... Tell so you start, everything you want. So
0: start there. So start there. But, but you know, if, if for preparing for, for yourselves as an adult, you know, especially for the younger generation that's now, you know, the young professionals, you know, your companies have all types of resources that... Uh, provide information about 401k about investing and in things like that small and large companies sometimes It goes back to you can't wait for somebody to bring something to you if you don't understand it And you don't know about it search go straight to your human resources department and start asking some questions Yeah,
1: But like I mean when we look at companies like ours. We've never had a human resources department yeah. You know, we've had a person that kind of served as that role,
0: right? But how about ask you like yeah. ask you so if I work for you and you are a partner I'm thinking in my mind partner Hmm. that means in charge that means you've been able to establish a successful business you might not be you know uh, you know uh, super advanced when it comes to fi- fi- financial literacy but that's only because you're you know you're still navigating and you're still somewhat young too. So, you. I'm sure you know a lot. This is me as the employee. I'm thinking you probably know a lot. You've been able to establish a business. I'd ask you. So, yeah, there may not be a formal human resources office or a formal benefit set up. Ask the person in charge. Yeah. And if they don't know, ask them for a resource. People get to be in charge for a reason. How did you get there? Have you been saving your money or investing in some place? What can I do well, with the benefits that you've established? And you know what?
1: In? I would tell somebody, like, to be honest, when I first graduated, I probably didn't save any money in the first three years. <laughs>
0: like, and I can attest to that. <laughs> I, say, I
1: don't know where all my I money went, but it just kind of like.
0: No matter how many conversations <laughs> we had about like saving Like, blew like the wind. <laughs> this,
1: yes. But that's not my fault. This is expensive. Oh, that was my no money no running good. in a <laughs> non profit. Like, she was right. like Yeah, you were
0: spending, you were spending a lot of money. You were, you were. And you, you know, at the time, I think you might have so just.
1: like I got a full of money. <laughs> it came yeah. up, came up. Uh, uh, boom.
0: But you know boom. Boom. But you, you, you didn't think that, you never thought about it. Anyway. I'll
1: never forget how, you know, I had my dad's credit card for a while. <laughs> and we got in our argument. And I was like, fine, take your credit card back. <laughs> And I feel like there's a lot of young people that probably have that, that, that story. And I, was like, and I was like- Maybe not. Mm, like, and then I was like- Maybe not. Access to your
0: parents' credit card, probably not. And I was
1: just like, man, like, let me get that joy back. And
0: oh, by the way, <laughs> oh, by the way, while you had access to your father's credit card, you were getting a deposit from me I was only making week. like
1: 40K, like my first year out of school, well, trying to trying help people.
0: Well, the point Truth is, fact. everybody doesn't have that, right? So, how do they navigate understanding what the world means now from a financial perspective, and yeah. what they need to do? So, one thing that's really great um, that that I've I've seen I I can't speak to what all the banks have done uniform uniformly uniformity uniformly uniformly. <laughs> Thank you. So, I can't speak to what i don't got tongue twisted there. I can't speak to what they've done across the board, but. A number of them have uh, kicked off financial literacy programs, especially for young people. But
1: they've been doing financial literacy but programs. Even, what they're makes it different now? More.
0: So some of them are doing more. So a number of the credit unions not only do that, but they're doing scholarships, and some of them are small, five hundred, you know, one thousand dollars. But they're they're trying to reach to the younger generation because they know they're coming up, they're becoming young professionals, they're they're in the work world. So a number of banks and credit unions are enhancing what they've done before to make sure that they're actually getting to to the younger people. But also- But it also still
1: feels like banks are almost like the government in a a sense that they're slow to respond, right? Like that's very true. Banks have been doing financial literacy and stuff like that for a very long time. But when I look at like how they market these things, like I haven't seen much. Like if if I look at my phone, like I get advertisements all the time now, like on Instagram or on Twitter. Mm And like, I'm not seeing banks, credit unions advertise to my my market, like my age range of like young professionals about these programs, and like put your money in our bank, or yeah. this is how you should save. Or remember, I remember when I was younger. I, Used to be credit unions are better than banks for these reasons. I haven't seen none of that. So you're saying
0: they're slow. They're slow from the from the the marketing from a
1: marketing standpoint, right? Like, yeah, companies can have all of these different programs and initiatives they're beginning to run. But if you aren't getting them in front of the right people and at the right time, then you're honestly it's almost like dollars wasted.
0: Yeah. Like, and so how
1: do we build like how do we build organizational resiliency and like adaptability? Yeah. Like well, I don't, that's a good
0: point, but I'll it's tell like you, a number it. of the banks and credit unions, you're right, they might not be coming to you, but they want you to come to them. So I think that's the part that might be a bit flawed in the approach. It's not bidirectional. You know, it's, it's more if you come to us and tell us what you need, we'll design a program uh, around it. And they do that. They do that in response to the demand. So sometimes they are looking for younger people to tell them how to how do they socialize, you know, to, to people your age group and, and younger. What are they supposed to do? But I think that, to, you know, to the point of resiliency, resiliency is really all about how do you shift? How do you shift based on needs? But one of the ways that you understand how to do that is hearing from people like you. You know the way that i bank is a little different like i'm not just going to the atm machine or i'm not physically going into a bank like i want to use zelle and paypal and i was cash walking with, i was walking with one of
1: my friends one time um down on the waterfront and this older couple asked us like what do we use and it was like do you use Zelle? do you use cash like what do you use? And we got this, this whole thing yeah randomly because they wanted the young perspective of, like what we use to like transfer money and use money and it was like this whole thing about Cash App versus Zelle and I was like honestly Apple Pay is probably the easiest now
0: and see I just learned how to use
1: Apple Pay so So, you know so like now I guess I guess I guess to say like now we we're seeing banks respond in that way right because if we look at Venmo and Cash App like they were they were out before banks decided to establish Zelle because right I mean like five to seven days or three to five days for ACH to transfer your money from one account to another, that's dead. Like the way technology is, that should not be the case. Right. right? And so when we, when we started looking at the the Coinbase uh, market, how that came and then like disruption is key. And so that's why I'm saying like, even like the banking and the financial markets industries, like that has been something that's slow, like the government. And it's, it's, Finally trying it's finally trying to catch up. Yeah. But like when we think about the context of now them trying to now these banks and credit unions trying to get more customers and more clients, targeting like the young base, they're still behind and and like the the framework of marketing.
0: They are but one of the reasons why they are is what you don't see happening behind the scenes are things where they have to tackle fraud and they have to tackle um, all these different issues that they have with identity theft and things like that.
1: Oh, you do cyber with the
0: banks. So I am just, I'm just I completely saying. forgot.
1: Oh, man. I mean, talking <laughs> about your clients. Dang.
0: No, but I'm just saying. Yeah, you that brought in the risk wild. part, you brought
1: in the fraud part. I was why. like, oh, this is your job. They can't just Get
0: move. Getting into your expertise. <laughs>
1: they can't
0: just move as quickly Well, as then you need, need
1: to be more disruptive. Then I yeah. guess we need to point our fingers at people <laughs> like you. <laughs> Mid 40s. Why, but this is why there was
0: an opportunity for PayPal and Zelle and some of these other... So then, how are, so are you fixing that? So just like how you think about when you, when you talk... Because you always talk about... No, no, how are you fixing that? You have to overcome some of the, you know, some of the cyber challenges and things that are happening in the background with fraud and, and, and cyber and all the other things. You can't just turn a switch and make it better. But because it's been slow and because they have so many challenges to overcome to get to to uh, a, a point of what you were saying, like you make a transaction and it's in your bank account right then. It's taking some time for them to do that, but it's created an opportunity for all these others. Is it created opportunity for PayPal and, and Zelle and Cash App and is it Vimo? I've never even used Venmo. So, I, I heard of it, but I've never used Remember, it.
1: Remember, was out before Cash App? I
0: know I didn't. I, I was using the PayPal
1: forever. PayPal? Like, PayPal, PayPal was make, what I used. PayPal has been beginning. making adjustments. PayPal has yeah, been making adjustments. I used PayPal
0: before anything. But it took me a guess, while to even use Cash but App. But I guess
1: what this all comes back to is corporate adaptability and like yeah. resiliency and so, like how you yeah. kind of not only plan for the future, but plan for mishaps plan to to adjust from situations like far like yeah like adaptability it comes down to adaptability and
0: so it's but it's exactly what you said it's the two things it's you know shifting and being able to to account for the new demand and what does that mean from your business model how do you tweak and adjust your business model but the the real you know big deal point of resiliency is what we see right now what's happening in the world of Working remotely, schools being uh, now, you know, at home over a laptop, school being conducted over a laptop. How do you plan for that? So every business should have a model that accounts for a bad day happening. Now, a bad day can needs to be quantified, though. Mm-hmm. No one expected a pandemic, but we knew a pandemic could happen. Mm-hmm. We knew that there could be uh, loss in electricity at some point. We knew that the Internet could go down. We, we knew, knew that Wi-Fi disasters. could go yeah. We knew all these things were uh, potentials to happen. So when you know that there's a possibility of a bad day, and that could be ten things that could possibly happen. How do you keep your business running? Because your bottom line is you're in the business of making money and to provide services and products or whatever it is that you do from a mission perspective. How do you plan for that? How do you plan for alternative processes? I think I think one
1: of the problems sure is, I think one running? of the issues is we have such a reactive culture rather than a proactive culture. Yeah. Like like in business in general. Yeah. Like so many corporations and, and companies are reactive yeah. after things happen. Yeah. And a part of that is thinking about the bottom line and how much it costs to actually combat a lot of these threats. But another component of it is saying like what are the most important things we need to 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 have preventative measures for. Yeah. And it's really interesting when I think back to one of my conversations with Robert Smith, um, who's one of our supporters at, at Good, you know, one of the things he talked about is how important coding Going back to your to your to your purview, how important right. coding is for young people to learn now, yes. because of where our our because of where our society is going. Not just in the sense of AI and cybersecurity, but coding teaches you how to think proactive and yep. think how yep. to be preventative rather yep. than reacting after something happens because you're saying well if i do this if i put punch this key in or put this code in and this is action. gonna happen what kind of right? reaction
0: would it have and, yeah.
1: s- and so like how do we begin to shift the the mode of how our society thinks yeah. is like something that I'm, i've been grappling with so
0: that's one thing that's really you know what you you brought up the government and and talked about you know how the, the slow pace one of the great things about the government is Things like business continuity, resiliency, all those things are required aspects of how you work in the government. So every government agency has a requirement, a legal requirement to build in business continuity. Now we can talk about who does it well, who doesn't do it so great and all that, but it's something that they know they have to do. So a lot of these larger businesses and larger corporations have legal obligations to build in business continuity as part of their business model. So something happens. How do you continue to operate? All the systems are down. What do you do? You know, all the employees have, you know, re- relocated. There's a natural disaster and every the building is no longer here. How do you plan for that bad day? So a lot of the larger companies know that they need to do it. But when I think about everything that COVID has exposed, mm-hmm. it's things like that. It's flaws in planning. So you were just saying we're in a reactive culture. We are, but we shouldn't be because these are things that we know we're supposed to do. Mm. Now, who gets excluded? Some of the small businesses, some of the schools, you know, some of these uh, companies are not, this is not a part of their, their sort of their business mindset, mm. but some of the larger comp- companies and corporations, the government and, and, and you know, some of these uh, entities that have been in business for many, many years, they already know. This is, this is like when you're getting the answers to the test, you know, before you know you have a test coming up and you yeah. get like the, the practice exam or getting the answers. They know that they have the playbook already that tells them here's how you need to think about a bad day. And these are the things that you need to do to prepare. So the people that are impacted now, like w- with respect to the schools, like some of, they didn't know. The school systems don't plan for alternative schooling. They're always thinking that the, the children are gonna be there, the teachers are gonna be there, and the building is gonna be intact. But some of, these bu- some of these businesses, they don't have any excuses. They should be baking in that thinking as part of their business model so that when something bad happens, they can still make money. If I have a business and I want to continue to make money, I'm going to plan for everything that I can think of so I can continue to operate and make money. Yeah. So that's, that's really the bottom line. So what we're seeing right now with, you know, back to the schools, they weren't prepared for this. So when, when everyone was thinking about, okay, we, we, we are not going to physically be located in these schools anymore and we're going to now have, um, you know, children and teachers at home, um, you know, what do we need to use to do that? Okay, let's go to Zoom. Let's go to all these different, um, you know, audio, video pieces of, of software to get working. Everybody thought like that and what's happening it's going down, there's cyber issues, there's all these different things, but for some of the larger comp- companies that have, have been impacted by that, shame on you. Why don't you know? Why would you go to Zoom too? Why weren't you planning for an alternative means of communicating with your partners, your staff, your, your employees? There are a number of uh, different pieces of software that one could use. Why isn't that a part of your business planning yep. that's how you build in resiliency that's how you plan for the bad day that can happen at any moment and that's how you plan for back to your point for the young people that are like why are not my financial institutions you know being a little bit more savvy with how they're managing my money and providing services to, to me some of those companies do they absolutely need to be moving to the future because yep. the demand and the need is there so how do we get to all of our customers well, one
1: of the it's interesting. It's one of the things that I would say comes down to that adaptability piece and you're talking about young people specifically is, you know, as we move out of COVID and we see this large population of recent graduates and young people who don't have jobs, like, but as businesses rev back up, businesses ability and, and then also adding in like all of these social issues, yeah. businesses ability to create more value driven culture, is gonna be super impactful in their ability to acquire new great talent. Like businesses are not gonna come out of this pandemic operating the same. And a part of that is them embedding like a lot of these these social issues that we're seeing, you know, people galvanize around like that's going to be super important as we get out of the pandemic even passing passing this because that's what so many people care about now and it's right in your face it
0: is it is they are really gonna have to think through uh, enhancements to their programming so one of the things that I know um that that you know was kind of existing in there long before COVID was you know I I have so much uh respect for the younger generation and the millennials that kind of push push the envelope a bit and say, I, I just started this job. Yeah, was, it's, a, it's a
1: little more Gen Z too, you well, know? Gen millennials Z too, is...
0: you're right, you're right. The millennials are young. Yeah, we getting old. So, <laughs> y'all getting old, but you're right. But I'll just say the younger generation that that are starting new jobs and they're looking around and asking questions on day one, you're like, okay, so what happens after I'm here for a couple of months? Like, when do I get promoted? when is my race scheduled like they're asking are we questions. doing any volunteering we, yeah what are we doing you know what social impact programs are available to me like what do we how, do how what's our stance
1: on this position exactly. you
0: know y'all are asking the questions that we didn't used to ask and you know and and I, I respect it so much because it's causing these organizations to think through how what do what do we do how do we do it so one of the things that was was true even before COVID um was you know th- there weren't enough Uh, There wasn't enough uh, career progression information available to people that Mm -hmm. showed them that when you start this path in this particular job, this is what your trajectory looks like. So back in the day, way back in the day, even when like my mother worked for the post office and my father worked for IBM and, and came up in IT, they had information on here's what your path looks like. You know this is what the info this is back in the 70s in in early 80s they actually had information about what that looks like that is absent now so one of the things that i've seen from a lot of young people especially you know coming right out of school they want to see it where where am i going <laughs> and when do i get there and uh, it, these companies don't have it they don't have the information and,
1: and and a lot of companies aren't putting it on themselves but that's why there's so much turnover. You know, when we hear a lot of executives talk, oh, yeah. and we hear like some of these TED talks and some of these speeches at universities, and they talk about how young people are are in and they're out. They're yeah. in and they're out because that's why. And it's not. Yeah, it is. And it's not. It's, and I think corporations and executives, especially, especially like the older generation, needs to begin to look in the mirror. We often yeah. talk about looking in the mirror on on the color scheme, right? Like right. People like so many people, these corporations have to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing to contribute to this turnover that we're seeing with, you know, this younger population? And how can how can we strategize and think strategically about, you know, creating a culture that young people want to stay in. Because I'll tell you from last thing, right? It's 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 really unfortunate because, you know, so many older leaders have this mentality of like you need to you need to spend a certain amount of like tenure right. to like earn it's, your yes, place when it's yes, like no yes, now yes. you need to create an inclusive culture where yeah. young people can state yeah. how they feel and tell you how to help them right. Right. but how do you but you have to create a culture where young people Feel like the space is there and that you're listening so that they can yeah. tell you what they need and if you yeah. aren't creating that culture for people to tell you what they need you will not so get to there the you will about, not be adaptive.
0: And to the point about turnover I'll tell you just in information technology one of the the challenges that we see in the government from the government perspective that was like oh my gosh we get these people we train them up and then they leave they leave for these higher salaries so they're so focused on the money part the government is they're so focused on the fact that people are leaving for the money that they don't recognize that a lot of people actually want to stay and will stay if you show them where they're going to go. Yeah. Will you show them where they're going to be? If you don't give them a path and you don't give them any information, they are going to chase the dollar. We've all done it. I've done it. Anybody would do that. You want to see what what are you going to do for me? If you're not going to do anything to sustain me and my well-being here, then I'm going to go someplace else strictly for the money.
1: If it's not clear like how long or what my performance matches are to get promoted, if it's not clear on what type of professional development opportunities you're gonna offer me, if it's not clear on, like you said, my pathway to hit this level of career advancement that I see, then I'm not, I have no reason to stay. I have no reason to stay at all. all. And it it really comes down to so many of these companies, like it's almost like ego in a way, like reducing your ego and, and thinking, thinking about how you can actually yeah. invest in your staff. Right, right. You know, like it just, it doesn't, it just, it's like so many people don't get it. Yeah. And it's like, we don't get it over and over again in the same yeah. circles, like the same <laughs> things happen. It's like we're yeah, on this and it's hamster a wheel. Industries.
0: Yeah, it's across industries. It industry. is across
1: industries, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Yeah. And you don't need in many instances, you don't need consultants to, to know that or no, learn it.
0: No, you don't. You know? It's, that's an interesting take on it because a lot of companies will consult that out. They'll pay say, I don't know what's happening. so Can much money.
1: And it's like, no, it's you need to. in your
0: face. So all you got to do is pay attention. That's <laughs> so,
1: yeah. And like, it, it just comes back to, to, to really understanding, like, what does thought leadership look like, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and and how it's so pivotal for people to invest in their own professional development so that yes. once you do become a leader, like you don't begin to seclude and block off pathways to get yeah. you, that hinder you from understanding your people. Right, and, and back and to just, what we and said earlier,
0: you. you don't get to a position where you're just thinking about saving yourself. You yes. have to think about how do I help the next, you should be thinking about how to help the next person and how to do that for the culture. That's what when we talk about doing it for the culture that's what it really yeah. means
1: <laughs> and I wonder and I, and I, and I, w- I will also say this as as we continue to to advance and from a technological standpoint, right and people begin to specifically younger people, gen Z and millennials begin to learn and find ways to build their own brands on social media mm-hmm. where we're seeing young people begin to have alternative revenue streams yeah. by be like advertising for other companies and providing discounts and all these other things and creating opportunities for themselves to to have additional revenues like it's going to be super important for corporations to start to think about how they can help advance that and like how so how do you create a culture that helps like optimize what your your staff cares about and like helps them progress their own personal brand brands and integrate those brands yeah. into what you're doing. Yeah. Right. So like yep. if, if you have staff members that, that are, you know, heavy on social media or care a lot about an issue, like how do you get them involved in that within your company? And yeah. then in turn, turn that into a revenue, revenue generation yep. for yourself. Right. When yep. we talk about being, having adaptive leadership yep. and, and creating cultures that allow that, like how do you do that for yourself yeah. and really leverage, the 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 skill sets of your staff members yep. to not only help yourself but help them it, yep. it should be a two-way street yep. it really should be a two-way street and as businesses begin to develop and think about how they can create that two-way street and make working at their organization mutually beneficial yeah. not just one-sided right. not just oh you're bringing all the dollars for me like in yep. like when we used to talk about um you know when you were consulting you know back in the day you know, at some of these larger firms, and you would say, you know, they're paying, they're paying you, I don't know, $75 an hour, or $100 an hour, whatever, but they're billing at a rate that's 350 for oh, you, yeah. or 500 for oh, you, yeah. right? Like, and you recognize that, and you recognize how it's really one-sided. It's right. like, you're just right. dishing out, yep. <laughs> yep. Right? right? Like, and it's gonna come a place, and I would say the next 10 years, where corporations are really gonna have to begin to think about how to make those uh, relationships yeah
0: yeah it's almost like you know what have you done for me lately you're billing 300 dollars for me i'm getting paid this amount why why would i why would i stay here what else are you offering me just this salary and you're profiting more than i am so yeah it's like businesses need to wake up yeah. that that time is that ship itself
1: one of the things we used to do is we would have monthly company happy hours now it became expensive and so <laughs> we had to adjust from like going out with everyone and the right. entire staff to being like, okay, like, let's actually do it in house. You know, yeah. go to Costco, Last get a box of, of wine, buy like, other things, right? Like, and like have our staff members, cause like we're, we were non we're nonprofit, yeah. right? Like, and because we're community based, like we don't have like the revenues that so many other organizations had, you yeah. know, to like really go and blow out happy hour and yeah. like do corporate dinners and all this stuff. Now granted, we, we've done really well, especially now we're four years long and we've had a lot of great impact, but it was saying like, how can we create a culture that made our staff feel valued? It yeah. made them feel like we not only appreciated them, but we appreciated their time um, and the communities around them. So when we have these monthly staff happy hours and it's once a month, we bring us all together to show even though we're all doing different contracts, we want different grants, right. you know, we're, 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 we're a family. Right, and not only are we a family, like we care about your family. So bring your significant other, yeah. you know, invite somebody. Like we want to learn about, you know, what you're doing outside of work, because we know you give so much time to your yeah. job, especially because we're a community driven organization where, you know, we're on call for a lot of the kids and the families we work with. So like, you know, we had to really think strategically about how yeah. do we create a culture that makes everyone feel appreciated, mm-hmm. and makes them want to stay. And so you know, that's just one example of something that we did, but companies have the bandwidth to do so yeah, much do. more. And until exactly. they begin to look inward, especially from an, executive, from an executive level standpoint, to do that, they'll never, They're like... going
0: to continue to see the turnover. Yeah.
1: It's going to... It's it's, 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 yeah. The bottom line will always be the same. Yep. You know? Yep. It will always be the same. So, I don't know. That's my color scheme little tidbit.
0: Yeah, I think we gave a lot of color scheme to, tidbits. To, to so. kick <laughs> us
1: off. To kick us off. Yep. So... One more episode I think we're getting it. We are getting it. Bam. Out. Lock it. <laughs>